wouldn't say it has been a particularly hard past couple of weeks, but I, I would say it has been a weighty past couple of two weeks, past couple of weeks. We had uh, people die, persons die, attached in some way to the community of believers here, both young and old. We had people get sick. They're not, I'm sure people got physically sick as well over the last two weeks, but it's been more the emotional sickness, spiritual sickness. We live in a world where the things that we see around us sometimes don't always line up to what we know God is doing. Our struggle is partly this. We, we live in a world where we can see with our eyes. We also live in a, a different world. It, it, they overlap, but it is uh, the world that we know exists by faith. Part of two realities right now is Christians, and it can make life sometimes difficult. One reality is by sight, the other is by faith, and while they do overlap, they sometimes collide. A reminder to Mark Twain's quote, it's actually Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn says, faith is believing what you know ain't so. That's not faith. Heidelberg Catechism describes faith as a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. It's also a deep-rooted assurance created in us by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of the grace of God seen and worked out in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven and we've been made new, we've been made righteous. In other words, I like to think of it like this. Faith is the assurance that the, what the world usually says about us, usually, is wrong. And what God says about us in the world all the time is right and true. In a nutshell, that's what Paul has been describing in the first three chapters of this letter to the Ephesians. Paul is summarizing, he's saying God has a plan that began from before time, before creation to unite all things in heaven and all things in earth under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So those things that we can see and those things that we can't see with our eyes, God has a plan and is working out that plan to unite those things together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we learn in Ephesians that we are actually a part of that plan. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we are participating in this great plan. 
I do think that's what the early church realized that you, re- you read about in the Gospels, you read about um, in Acts, you read about in the New Testament, that understanding that they were a part of the plan that God is working out in this world right now, that's what turned the world upside down in the ancient world. I know it can do it today. It can do it for us as individuals, it can do it for us as a church, and it can do it for this world, and nothing's going to stop God's plan to make all things new. Let's read from our passage, Ephesians 3, the first 13 verses. If you have your Bibles, open them up. If you don't, we print it there in the bulletin, beginning in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. By the way, where are those Gentiles? A prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, bless us this morning as we open up your word. You have already drawn near. You called us together. You brought us here. There are no accidents. Would you use this time to remind us of your power, your love, your mercy, your goodness, to know that we are yours and you are ours. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul, beginning in chapter 3 here, believe it or not, he's about to pray for the Ephesians. But he gets sidetracked, picks it up again next week in verse 14. He's about to pray and he gets sidetracked. So if you would imagine this letter as a conversation between Paul and the churches in Ephesus, you'll know that Paul has reminded them that God, by his grace, has miraculously made them new creatures, raised them from this this spiritual death that they were walking around in and made them alive. 
And he's also said, and now in Christ Jesus, they are a part of God's plan to renew the whole world. It's not simply that they are saved. That is good. It's good that we are saved. But what's even greater is God is restoring and renewing the whole earth, the whole cosmos. And the Ephesians are an important part of this great plan. So are you. So am I. But if the Ephesians were to, if they were able to talk back in this letter, they, they might say something like this. Wait a minute, Paul. It sure doesn't feel that way. They would, have had, they would have said, you know, you've already talked about the conflict that we're having with, with uh, our brothers in Christ who happen to be Jewish. They're God's people. We're having trouble with them. And, and by the way, our fellow Ephesians, all our friends that we go work with and we talk to, they worship other things. And when they see us trying to follow Jesus Christ, by the way, follow a Savior who died a shameful death on the cross. When we try to worship this Savior, they think we're really strange. We just don't seem to fit anywhere. We certainly don't feel like we're part of God's plan. We're weak. We are insecure. We struggle with sin. So Paul, instead of praying for power at this moment, he says, let me remind you how God works. That's what this passage is all about. Let me remind you, before I pray for you, for, for power to do the things that God calls you to do, let me remind you of a few things. First of all, the mystery, the mystery of God's plan. It's not a mystery like the world thinks. It's a different kind of mystery. We'll explain that. Secondly, we'll understand the power, how God's power works according to this plan. And lastly, we'll, we'll see the purpose of what God is doing. The mystery, the power, and the purpose. First of all, the mystery. Look at verse 3. Paul talks about the mystery that revealed to him. It, this mystery was revealed to him by God. If you go back and you read Acts chapter 9, you'll see how God, or Paul, Saul, miraculously meets God on the way to Damascus. Verse 4, he says, it's the mystery of Christ. So the content of the mystery has been, is, and always will be the person of Christ. That's what he's been explaining to the Ephesians, this mystery. It's not a secret that only super spiritual people can figure out. It's not something that only the super smart can figure out. This mystery that Paul describes is it begins slowly, it's like a seed, and it only grows more and more clear over time. Began in Genesis 3.15, it was worked out through the Old Testament, so that when Christ comes, when he comes in an unexpected way and does very unexpected things, everything is so much more clear. That's the mystery. It's not a secret. Verse 5. It was not made known in the past like it has now been revealed with Jesus. In other words, Jesus Christ is the clarifying event of history. God is now completely revealed how he is saving sinners and saving the world in the person of Christ. The Old Testament saints looked forward and believed in the promises of God and all the content of those promises is summed up in Jesus Christ. 
The Ephesians can now see how it was done as they look back to the cross and the, and the resurrection. The mystery has now been revealed. God has been at work. God is at work. And it's always been all about Jesus. Paul clearly announces the result of this this great plan, this great mystery. In verse 6, he says, And you, Gentiles, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So God is putting together a people who are radically different from one another, and he's making them into one people with one purpose and one savior. They're all, we are all in Christ Jesus, fellow heirs, fellow members, and sharers of the promise. It's the mystery. God has revealed salvation in his son who died on a cross. And for those who believe, for us this morning, Peter calls us, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation a people for his own possession so that we would live to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and placed us into the marvelous light. And the Ephesians look around their little house church with 20 people at the most and they say, I don't know if I can believe that. We're weak, we're insecure, we're full of struggles, and they didn't feel like they were all that strong, which is why if you go back and you read chapters one and two, Paul is always talking about God's power. Verse 19 of chapter one, Paul prays that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. That power raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and that power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, raised us from spiritual death and made us new. Chapter 2, that same power that raised us up from spiritual death breaks down barriers that separates us. There's nothing bigger than Jesus Christ to us so we can do anything that God calls us to do. In chapter 3, Paul is about to pray for them, that they would be strengthened with power through his spirit. But before that, Paul says, wait a minute, let me show you how this power works. So you've seen the mystery. The mystery is all about Jesus. The mystery that was slowly revealed over time, always pointing to a Savior to come, and he's come. How does this power work? Look at verse 7. Second point, God's power. Paul says, of this good news, by God's grace, given to me by the working of God's power, I was made a minister. So this guy, named Saul, changed his name to Paul, who used to go around murdering and hurting people that believe the same things that he's preaching. He's now saying, I've been called to proclaim the good news, to explain the good news, to help people understand how the gospel works. Look back at verse 1. He identifies himself as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been put in jail for sharing and explaining the good news. He says in verse 8 that he's the very least of the saints. This is not some kind of false humility. This is not some morbid preoccupation with sin. 
He realized that he once persecuted the same kind of people that he's preaching to, and he is amazed that God, God's grace has, and his power has enabled him to preach to these same people. Paul is sharing this part of his life to help the Ephesians understand how God works. And God always works in our weakness. God's power is always shown in his grace. Paul frequently throughout all his letters speaks of the grace given him in his weakness so that he could be sustained to do what God had called him to do. It's God's power that works in our weakness. So the Ephesians, hey, we don't feel like we're good enough or strong enough or able to do the things to participate in God's plan. And Paul says, that's exactly the way God works. Things I've heard as a pastor, even, even over the last year, it hadn't been that long. I'll start sharing the gospel when I can explain it better. I would invite them to church, but they would really think we're ridiculous because of some of the things that we believe. I'm afraid I might look bad. I'm afraid they won't like me. I don't want to embarrass myself. My favorite is this, I'll start going to church when I get my act together. I was in the kitchen last week with Josie and she realized that last year because of COVID I didn't go to my annual physical for my, with my doctor that happens to go to church here. And uh, she goes, uh, have you set, that, uh, you set that appointment up yet? And I, we were in the kitchen, I, I, this, is, this is a true story, we were in the kitchen and I said, no, honey, I, I, thought, I thought I might lose 15, 20 pounds before I go see Dr. Farmer because that way he won't be as, you know, pointed with me. <laughs> and if you know my wife, she, she rolls her eyes in that loving way that only she can do. She looked at me and she goes, so you're not planning on going to the doctor ever again? <laughs> If we wait to get our acts together, we will never do anything. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It is a stumbling block to Jews. It is folly to Gentiles. As individuals here this morning, in our struggles with the things in the world, our struggles with our own sin, uh, the suffering that comes about and weakness that comes about when we are sinned against. We don't like being weak. We don't like hurting. 
We don't like being looked, upon, looked down upon and being misunderstood. But those are the times God's grace is most sufficient. Johnny Erickson Tata, most of you are familiar with her. She's a paraplegic. She says, deny your weakness. Deny your weakness and you will never realize God's strength. We have a, many of you know Ryan Vognes. He works here at the church. He does a tremendous amount of work. He's a, a godly young man, an elder at uh, Good Shepherd. He has a brother. His name is Jeremy. He's in a terrible car accident, I don't know how many years ago. He can't walk, can't use his arms, and he can't even talk. Do you know what he likes to do for fun? He likes to get his friends to take him to different areas of town so he can share the gospel with them. Because he realizes that this world is coming to an end and something better is going to take its place. And if you don't know Jesus, you're going to miss it. You do realize that if God wanted to, he could stop COVID in its tracks like that. He could end it and it'd never be seen again. He's obviously got a purpose for it. He's obviously doing something with it. And I think part of it is to remind us of how weak we always are. And it's in that weakness that God's grace is sufficient. Paul's example here of his own life, he's in jail. He's in jail. Can't you hear I can hear myself. If God really wanted to do something great with you, Paul, you wouldn't be in prison. Or the Ephesians about themselves. If God is all that powerful, if his plan is all that great, then why do we feel so weak and so inadequate? Looked down upon by everyone else. Paul's example serves as a model of how God works, and this is how God has always worked. God's grace is what sustains us. God's power is seen in a weakness. We talked about it, how it works in our individual lives. What about our church lives? The church, the local church here at Redeemer. I've often wondered, I've been in the ministry now more years than I want to tell you. I've been in church for a long time. I've often wondered why God decided to show his glory through the church, why God decided to use somebody like me to to preach the gospel. It's because in our weakness, God's grace is sufficient. God's power is always seen in our weakness, not in our strengths in our weaknesses. The mystery is that God has revealed the plan of salvation completely, fully in the person of Jesus Christ and God's power was seen where the world thought it was, it was the most weak, shameful thing where the Savior of God's people dies on a cross 
and that is the power of God. And as we take up our crosses, as we live in weakness, God's grace will sustain us, which leads us to our last and final point, God's purpose. It's the why. Paul has been called out and responsible to proclaim the good news. That's what it means to be a steward. He is a steward of the mysteries of Christ to communicate and proclaim the good news of this mystery, God's grace seen in Jesus. He's called to explain that our existence, our lives together as brothers and sisters in Christ, it reveals God's wisdom and plan to the world and to the hostile powers set against us. Look at verse 10. The manifold wisdom of God is to, be known, is to be made known by us, which is the church, to, dis, to display in our lives the power of God's grace, not our own power, not our own wisdom, not our own strength, but rather God's work in us, and we're to show his power not only to the world, but also to the unseen world of spiritual darkness, and it blows their minds that in our weakness, God is strong, and that's what turns our world upside down. That's what turns the world that we live in upside down. And that's what the cross of Jesus Christ was all about. It was God's plan from the beginning as Jesus dies on the cross to defeat sin and the devil and death. We're now a part of God's eternal plan. We're not our own. We are bought at a price. That price was the blood of Jesus Christ. And we now have power because, listen to this, we now have unrestricted, bold access to our God who holds this world in his hands. I heard this at a funeral a couple days ago. The greatest gift of the gospel, it is not the forgiveness of sins. It's a great gift to be forgiven. That's not the greatest gift. The greatest gift of the gospel is not Christ's righteousness imputed to us. The greatest gift of the gospel is not eternal life. The greatest gift of the gospel is knowing Jesus Christ and God the Father and being able to go into his presence and pour out your heart to him and knowing that he loves you and he's at work with you and work for you and nothing's going to stop his plan for the world and you're now a part of that plan. Our problem is we just don't think it's that big of a deal to go into the presence of God. It is the biggest of deals. Why don't we pray? We don't pray because we're not coming to grips with this, this boldness and this confidence that we can enter into the mighty throne room of God and know that we are part of his plan and nothing is going to stop us, not death, not sin, not the world. We are on the path to victory and we're just long for the ride and God in his grace uses us and we get to march forward until one day we will experience everything will be made right in this world. And that's what everybody wants. Verse 13, do not lose heart over what I am suffering. Do not lose heart after what you are struggling with. This is our glory that in our weakness through God's powerful work of grace, all things will be brought to completion, not only us, but the world that we're living in. And that is our hope. Faith is not something that we know is not so. 
Faith is knowing that everything God says is true. And we're a part of that. Brothers and sisters in Christ at Redeemer, we need to cast off anything that hinders us from this plan that we're participating in and work for the glory of God in our weakness. And friends of Redeemer, you know, just because you go to church doesn't mean you know Jesus. This is everything that we need, and it's all about Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for these truths of the gospel, for this plan that has been revealed in Jesus Christ, that you are now at work uniting all things, all things that we can see, all those things that we can't see, you are uniting them under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and there will be a day when every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. By your grace and your mercy, would you help us move forward, following you in all of life. In Jesus' name, amen.